Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. So with me today, of course, is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. And we also have a guest with us today, Lou Kerner, who we're going to introduce and is going to be our expert on the topic. Now, <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi made this great saying a long, long time ago, and it said, at first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And I hope he's right, because at the moment I think we're at stage three. Let me take you back a little bit. So back in March 2022, President Biden released an executive order, 14067. Now, no one really paid a lot of attention to it at the time. It was written up a little bit in the media and around the, the, the cryptocurrency media, but people didn't quite get the magnitude of what Biden was saying. It's a very long executive order, so I'm going to give you a really quick excerpt of what it's all about. And so the preamble to it is, it says, Innovation is one of the hallmarks of vibrant financial system and economy. But as we've learned painfully in the past, innovation without appropriately addressing the impact of these developments can result in significant disruption and harm to the financial system, individuals, and especially the more vulnerable population. And they seek to really clarify a position on, on where the government would stand on this. That's the preamble to it. And it says... We must protect our consumers, investors, businesses in the United States. You can't argue with that. We must protect the United States and global financial stability and mitigate systematic risk. Mm. We must mitigate the illicit finance and national security risk posed by the misuse of digital assets. We must reinforce the United States leadership in the global financial system and in the technology and uh, economic competitiveness and we must promote access to safe and affordable financial services. That was sort of the preamble. But when you actually look at who's involved with this, it says this is an interagency process and it shall include the following. The Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasury, the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General and Secretary of Commerce, the Secretary of Labor, the Secretary of Energy, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Administration... Um, it just goes on and on of how many, there's 17 different agencies that are involved with this process. And they're all, all instructed to provide papers and solutions by around September or so. Mm -hmm. And US Treasury did that and it responded with the following papers and that's the future of money and payment, implications for consumers and investors and business and an action plan to address illicit financing, et cetera. Then things went quiet again. And then come February, all of a sudden, the SEC appears. And it appears with a heightened wave of attacks on the industry. The first thing is it appeared to attack staking, then stable coins, 
and now it's attacking investors. So staking, it says that it put a $30 million fine on Kraken, of course, the exchange, claiming that the crypto um, you know, exchange was providing crypto staking as a service program amounted to an offering of unregistered securities um, in the US. Then on February the 13th, uh, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission issued a Wells notice to Plexo alleging that the US, um, the BUSD is an unregistered security. And now yesterday, um, it turned around and said that the rules, that, that the SEC is planning to propose new rules changes that would um, make it harder for hedge funds, private equity firms, and pension funds to work with crypto firms. And this is reported by Bloomberg, a nice Valentine's Day present <laughs> for the financial industry. So, you know, people often refer to these things as a pincer attack, you know, but a pincer attack suggests there's two groups coming from two sides and you're in the middle. In this case, I counted, there's 17 different agencies involved with this. I would define it as maybe a touch more than a pincer attack from my reading. However, Lou, you're in being involved in this space for some time now. Um, and and you've I noticed in your background that you're a partner at Blockchain Co-Investors. You've created, which is a, a fund of funds in the blockchain world, you've created some 30 major events so far. And of course, you're the creator of Crypto Mondays, which is the largest crypto meetup group in the world. I think you've got your finger on the pulse. We're very keen to hear what you think is happening in this world. Welcome along. Great to have you and have your comments here. Sure. Well, th thanks for having me, Derek Nitten. Um, you know, what you laid out in, in, in my view was pretty grim. Uh, you know, we, you know, I think when people have seen the, the crypto light, I think everybody sees something different uh, based on their life experience. For me, when I saw the crypto light on June 29th, 2017, what I saw was for the first time in history, we had a tool set to solve for the community instead of the man in the middle, who's generally solving for himself. And that's yes. true, whether it's a, a, a corporation or a government. And, you know, the reason that, you know, I went all in 24 seven for the last five and a half years is because at the end of the day, uh, you know, I don't think it matters what the governments do, what the regulators do. Uh, I'm at the point in my life where I get to decide how I spend my time. And I really want to spend my time thinking about as, as much about the regulators as the regulators think about me. And I, and I don't think that's anything at all. I think the regulators, Gary Gensler is solving for Gary Gensler. And right. you know the, the, the rest of the United States and our economy be damned. And you know, I, I actually really, I don't believe in regulations. I don't believe in laws. I don't think laws exist. All that exists are people in power and what they wanna do with it. And the great thing about you know, crypto in, in my mind is if we continue to, to, to along the path we are, you know, I liken it very similar to if we had said, hey, you know what, the internet, nah, you know, that can only be used for bad things and pornography and, you know, let's keep that out. And yeah, that would not have ended up well. And this will end up the same way because there are other places like Singapore or Dubai or Switzerland um, that are embracing this and that appreciate this for what it is and are, you know, and I think going to be massively advantaged because of that. So the fact yeah. that this industry is so decentralized, you know, means that when they turn around the SEC in this case um, and decide to try and shut down staking, 
um, it can easily re relocate itself or just within hours, it can reset itself in different countries around the world and engage different nodes. And so you're right, there's this extraordinary opportunity for America to be left behind. But what happens on the way through? Do you think we're going to see a period of hibernation for the industry? Is the industry going to wake up and actually, um, um, you know, pursue this and attack in response? How do you think this is going to play out, Lou? So again, I think it's going to be very painful for the companies that are located in the United States. I, you know, I was at Mainnet, I think in September, October, um, in New York, and it was it was very subdued. And then I got on a plane, I went to Singapore for Token 2049, and it was like, oh my God, no crypto winter. <laughs> Jesus, it was rocking. Um, so, you know, this doom and gloom that's going on here in the United States um, isn't going on all over the world. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate, um, you know, and I think that, you know, the people at Coin Center and such, I, I think they're doing God's work and I'm, I'm very supportive of it. But, um, you know, ultimately, um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I say you know Google and Facebook aren't allowed in China, right? And they're still really big things. So you know the U.S. can outlaw. I don't think we will. It's hard to imagine that we're going to want to sure. get left behind. But you know, at the end of the day, in my view, in the long run, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So 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 one thing in this. First of all, uh, Lou, thank you for being here. In fact. Uh, Derek, a uh, little story. I, I met Lou for the first time. We've known each other for a long time. We met him for the first time in Davos this year. And I participated in one of his uh, Crypto Mondays in Austin, which is where I live. And I can tell you, uh, wow, the impact Lou has had on the industry and truly building the community and awareness. I mean, he, what, 49 or 100 and some odd countries where you've you've had Crypto Mondays now that you've seeded sort of this whole community building. And we, have, we have 50 active chapters now. We were just that's uh, and that's gross. last night. Last night was uh, uh, the launch of uh, Crypto Monday's Bucharest. <laughs> oh wow! And so, so uh, Lou actually travels to these literally two or three hour events in all over the world to truly build awareness and grassroots effort of people. These are people coming into Crypto Mondays, and he has chapter leaders in every in these countries. It's truly fantastic organization, I think, uh, from that perspective. But Good going you, back well to done. the topic uh, at hand, uh, Lou from a perspective of not being left behind. And I think there was a, a interesting article from Nick Carter, uh, as you know, from, from uh, Castle Ventures. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, he's a great, I mean, the conversation yeah. is great. And, and I, I, I engage with him on Twitter in terms of some of his thoughts. And he had this choke point 2.0, which is looking into what started in Obama era in, and, and this has a story to it in I, terms I, of- US Investors is an LP in uh, Castle Island. Castle Island. So fantastic, right? And and from that perspective, uh, the choke point 2.0, where he looked into how banking was used to choke into some of the industries that some of the people didn't agree with morally. They were not illegal, but they were just trying to sort of avoid the banking. And they've applied the same 2.0 to crypto industry, which is, you know, sort of subsequent to what Derek explained, uh, the letter that came out from White House. And I'm looking at this thing where Binance suspends USD transfer, signature bank suspends, all the banking with crypto firms a few months later, MCB, Metropolitan Commercial Bank, which is again, the banking partner of a circle, Silvergate challenge with outflows and investigation. Overall, on January 3rd, which is beginning of the year, a college of regulators announced that public chain activities are not in line with safe banking practices. And on this show, and in many of the writings, we looked into rethinking stable coins, rethinking largely the liquidity that's coming into the crypto space. Love to get your perspective 
on a notion where if we truly treat the valuation of crypto assets and truly crypto liquid assets, which these are Bitcoin and Ether, for instance, and not rely on banking systems, will that change the thinking that now you have internet money dealing with internet value, moving the internet sort of systems, building internet financial systems? And if there's no dependency on banking systems, uh, so I'm seeing this constraints that has been imposed a banking system in two avenues. One is whenever you have constraints, people find a way out. There's always innovation that 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 exceeds uh, the intention, especially in technological sense. And technology, by definition, is deflationary, which means things become cheaper, faster, better over time. I love to understand this. <laughs> yeah, I love to understand your perspective. See, what if we move to the world where suddenly these crypto assets are not only liquid assets, but they also provide valuation mechanisms and truly build a global financial infrastructure to move uh, the assets globally. And I'm just wondering, what is the impediment to it, uh, to your analogy of Singapore and Dubai uh, compared to the US? You know, I, in my mind, what we need to do is very simple. We just need to, as an industry, build a product that people want and can use. And that's what we need to do. And I think we're on the path to doing that. Um, and, you know, again, from a regulatory standpoint, uh, you know, the more friendly the U.S. is, you know, certainly the better in the short run. But this technology is going to be so powerful. It's going to be so pervasive, um, you know, that it's like unimaginable at some point we're not going to get on board. And while, again, you know, I've, I've got a you know, I've, I used to be an equity analyst on Wall Street, and I, I put out two price targets in 25 years since since I left. Uh, the first was uh, in uh, March of uh, 2010. I put a price target on Facebook because <laughs> you know, I'd run a social network and you know, so and, and had been an equity analyst. So I thought I knew better than anybody else. And the second one was in July of 21. I put a so in January 21. I put a million dollar price target on Bitcoin in 2031. Um, and nobody else a crystal ball. I could be wrong. I, you know, am largely spending my time looking around, seeing if there's any reason to change that view. And and absolutely nothing. All of this stuff, you know, that seems so monumental at the moment, SBF, the federal government, what they're doing yeah. now. You know, in in 2031, um it it, it it it'll be very distant memory, right? And, and again. You know, it, maybe it won't be a million dollars, but if it is, I, I know how it's going to get there, right? It's going to go up and down and up and down and up and down, right? And if it's a million dollars in 2031, yeah, that's just all noise. I mean, a lot of people trade off that, and, but, you know, uh, uh, I think for the most part, most people should just buy and hold. Yeah, no, hmm. no, I think that's, uh, that's it. but I do want to focus on utility of it, right? And it's funny, somebody posted on Twitter that, hey, you, they got this Bitcoin wine bottle and they had this Bitcoin thing that has some significance to uh, maybe the 14 years anniversary, whatever. The, and, and they said, should I keep it forever? I'm like, no, let's focus on utility this year. Open the wine, drink it. At the end of the day, <laughs> we need to focus on uh, just not holding to it. But I'll tell you, to your point on Gary Gensler is for himself and the fact that, and I don't actually blame Gary Glenser at all. I think he's probably done more for decentralization than anything else that is forcing us to look into decentralization. You know, but staking as it stands today with what- well, he, he, he did for the people who have their eyes open, but most people don't have their eyes open. True. You know, most people True. And, focus on other things. Yeah, and the thing is, this whole thing with uh, Kraken offering 
uh, if you look at the business model, Derek, uh, of of it does meet the litmus test of Howie's test. It's effort of others. It's common in about Howie's test. No, I'm, yeah. I don't mean this, but it was written for orange fields in the 1930s, right? Correct. I mean, correct. It is. It is just you know. So we're we're you know all there are people in power and they're looking at these things and they could say whatever they want, right? One moment abortion's legal, the next moment it's illegal because you have somebody yeah. else different in power getting to decide. That's all it is. Yeah. It's nothing more than that. And yeah. you know, I I feel bad. I you know very bad for the. Yeah, look, and the federal government's a bully, right? They bullied Kraken into paying $30 million. For what? Jesus Christ. Who was harmed? Where was the harm? Where did the $30 million come from? Yeah. No, no, that's that's a that's a great point. And I I think for him, he's not writing the laws, he's just enforcing it and and his personal ambitions or whatever that may be is the case. And so I think he's, not enforcing, anything. he's enforcing his will. That is what he's enforcing. He's not enforcing a law. There's no yeah. law that he can force. He just has a will. He wants to do X, Y, Z, and he's going to do it. And he can. You know, that's our gut, you know. Uh, one of the interesting things I think, you know, that's happening is, you know, the Chinese CBDC, you know, is, is going to be huge because mm. the world wants uh, an alternative to the U.S. dollar, to the U.S. banking system, right? The U.S. is a bully at any time. They can turn anybody off from the global banking system. Yes. And then you're in trouble, and you know, and you know, the and they do it all the time. And it so, seems to me. So, go ahead, Derek. It, it seems to me that this. Um, I mean, I always love it when I look at regulations and they start with things like "we're concerned about consumer welfare." Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going exactly. Okay, <laughs> and then fairly quickly after that, it says something about police, nurses, and teachers, right? And by that stage, you're totally softened and you're ready, right? <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, the very next thing talks about the financial system. The U.S. dollar is still the global reserving currency, and the stats show about eighty percent of all transactions are were occurring in US dollars, yet it only represents about 20% of the global um, trade. So in other words, it's an unbalanced amount of transactions occurring on the US dollar. The US dollar is the, the US is able to um, able to issue huge amounts of debt because it is the global <laughs> reserve. It's able to issue debt because it's the global reserve. Everything here works comes cryptocurrency, a totally decentralized um, financial system, which which holds the threat of destabilizing the U.S. as the prominent thing. I, I don't think that people are, care about the U.S. either. I don't think Gary Gensler cares about the U.S. He's not solving for the U.S. You know, I, I mean, you know, they're solving for whatever they're solving for. I don't, yeah, yeah. personally, I think it's a waste of time. So I wonder what they're solving for. Who knows who cares? It's not us. And they could start solving for something else tomorrow if they decided to. So, you know, Gary's going to do what he's going to do. I hope the Coin Center, you know, and, and the others in Washington, D.C. are, you know, somehow able to open his eyes or put pressure on him, you know, yeah. to do so, so, so let's focus. And and I, I know you spend a lot of time with builders, uh, Lou. We talked about Ethan, where that's, that's, that's uh, <laughs> popping up at the end of the month. You are investor. You're looking into this industry from a, from a very sort of minutia of what's being built in the ecosystem Let's look, focus on builders. So you have all these challenges and we can cry and everything else, or we can go and fix it. And and if you're not expecting the regulatory apparatus to fix some of these things, whether it's passing new sensible laws or enforcing them sensibly, what can the industry do 
to solve this issue. And I, I, you know, I had, we had opined on this. I've written about this both in rethinking the role of stable coins, uh, looking into provisioning crypto sort of robust market data that provides some level of market structures that is non-existent or actually is more vertically integrated today in crypto industry that may have caused the likes of what we have labeled as contagion of incompetence, creation of self-regulatory <laughs> organizations and everything else. So love to see what can, you know, system that was proposed by 14 years ago with the tenets of decentralization to dispute power and trustless protocols to ensure that no single entity has the absolute control. I don't think any of that is true in any of the systems that we have built lately. And so love to get that pragmatic perspective is, can we go back to basics? Can we go back to building? Can we go back to doing the right things and making it easier from a user interface perspective and engaging I, people? I think for me now, this is you know my second crypto winter. And it feels like crypto spring now, you know, uh, definitely feels like the thaw is in the air, but who knows? Um, and to me, the biggest difference between this crypto winter and the last crypto winter was like building stopped. It's like, you know, it, you know there was still some building going on, but I mean, it feels like 10 X, you know, the, the builders are, you know, who, who still have money <laughs> are still building. <laughs> um, and, and there are a lot of them again, and a lot of them outside the U S and so, you know, we're building, you know, stuff is working in DeFi, right. The, the, you know, all, you know, all the crashes were in CFI. <laughs> Yes. You know, they were calling themselves, you know, a, a crypto, but yeah, you know, just like Bernie Madoff was calling himself the stock market. He was just a scammer, right? The SPF yeah. was just a scammer. You know, scammers are going to scam. Um, you know, but the, the news is to me from that whole thing, I think what history is written is that, you know, is, you know, Maker, you know, didn't go down, right? They're, you know, Maker still worked, <laughs> right? So DeFi yeah. is working and DeFi is scaling and, and DeFi you know, is is also in in countries, you know, like Switzerland, you know, they, they're they putting real world assets on the blockchain. They're just digital assets. I mean, everything is digital, right? I mean, it's it's so weird that for whatever reason, they're putting in a in a box that's different when it's just, it's just zeros and ones. No, I completely agree. I think DeFi, again, is a flattened structure. And one thing I do have always contested is if we apply the same regulatory lens, to this new asset class. And crypto is an asset class because at the end of the day, we set out to build a value system and a build a network that moves value uh, as a platform for disintermediation. And if we were looking to same market structure that today is dealt, dealt is used or utilized to move value, then what have we done really? We haven't really changed anything. If you have the same, so if you look at the market structure today, essentially, but, you know, it's a chain you know of we've done for me personally, I can tell you one day I woke up in April of 2017, my ex divorced me and tied up all of my assets. I did not know that that was a thing. I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> to me, that's a massive, huge thing. Massive, 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 you know, and look, it's, you know, it, you, the problem is, right, you don't have to worry about those things till you have to worry about those things. And, you know, for most people, most people don't care about privacy, right? It's important to me and you, but most of the world, not so much. Um, so, right, the question is, what's going to be the utility in these tools that will get people to go, oh, my God. You know, and my guess is, you know, it's, there's going to be so many amazing things that happen. Um, you know, one of those things will be the thing where people say, oh, my God. Yeah. So... Uh De decentralized assets, um, and sorry, decentralized assets and decentralized finance 
um, uh, you know, the essence of that, of course, is this whole concept of decentralization, which is the concept of democratization and empowerment of people around the world. Not necessarily the number one thing that governments want along the way. By, by the way, de about... democratization, democ I, 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 uh, decentralization and democracy are, are two very different things. I mean, you, you can't have a decentralized democracy. You can also have decentralization that's not, you know, what is democracy? I yeah. think democratization. What do I mean by that is democratization of assets, meaning open assets right across the world. Anyone can access them. There's not an authority that is is um, empowering yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. From that. yeah. So that's what They're I mean open. by democratization yes. of assets. Yes. And and so hopefully, you know, the ability for you know a lady in an Indian village to invest a hundred dollars in in an asset anywhere in the world and be able to get a return on it without any barrier to her religion, her color, or her ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. And these are the these are the hopes of this along the way. But the 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 fact that DeFi exists and it exists and it continues to work and it is totally decentralized becomes very empowering and challenging for governments to um, to stop. The best way for them to slow it down is to reduce on-ramps, on and off um, fiat currency so that you can't put money into it um, or provide it in a difficult manner in regards to how you might invest in it. Um, do you think there'll be ways around that process? And do you think uh, you'll see um, yes, countries like Switzerland blossom people, from it? The wealthy people, right? You know, most of these things are just to keep the poor people down, right? The wealthy people can go, you know, open something up in, in uh, you know, the Cayman Islands and they can still yes. invest in, and take part in all this massive growth that's going to be denied to the, you know, to the, to the poor people, right? You know, they're, you know they, they don't take taxes right out of your capital gains, right? No, but they do take it out if you're making minimum wage. <laughs> yes. Yes, very true. Yeah. Listen. And so, and so, what's your what's your outlook, uh, Lou? I know you worked in Wall Street, and uh, you compare the two worlds together now, and you are both investing. And what kind of projects are you upbeat about? What's your investment uh, thesis as you're looking in this from co-investors, uh, and what kind of sort of opportunities you're looking for? Because that, to me, is is an indication of the outlook, like what, what the projects sure. that we should be looking at and stuff, right? So yeah, look, I, I you know, our outlook hasn't changed our bullishness that this is just the next thing that's coming in, right? And it's always, you know, uh, uh, you know the internet had bubbles and crashes and bubbles again. Uh, you know, the word that I used to describe that is, is capitalism. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, we, you know, to, you know, to some degree, I, the fund of funds, you know, I think it feels to me like 1994 internet. And, you know, pretty sure that crypto is gonna grow you know, for the next 30 years up and to the right, obviously it'll go like this, but you know, it's effectively a straight line up for 30 years and it is going to be massive wealth built. But, you know, I don't know, I don't think anybody knows who the, you know, Microsoft and Facebook and Google, right, is going to be. So that's the idea of a fund to fund is we want to own everything. We want to, we want to own every unicorn at at the C level, by the time, you know, they get to a C or D, you know, we're often in it in four or five of the VCs that we're in. And so, you know, we're in over 40 VCs now, and we invest in a new one when they're doing something that we don't think any of our other VCs are doing either from some ge you know, geography or, you know, you know, we weren't in a metaverse uh, a VC, you know, two years ago. And then, you know, then the metaverse became a thing. So that's kind of, you know, what we're solving for there. And, you know, and it's, and it's everything. 
Because again, I, the only thing I'm certain of is whatever it turns out to be is different than when anybody thinks it's going to be. Um, you know, I, it, it still feels to me very much like their early days of television. You know what the very first TV shows were? You know, the very first TV shows were people sitting at a desk with a microphone on it going, hey, now we're on television, right? They had all of these abilities to all these amazing new things. And they, you know, they were doing the same exact thing. You know, and that's where we are now where, you know, we've got this tool set, this ever-increasing tool set to do things that we could never have imagined doing before. Um, you know, but right now we're largely just putting radio on, on television. And so, you know, I'm incredibly excited about, you know, the innovation, you know, that's to come and it'd be better if the government, our government wasn't trying to stop it, but yeah, it's going to happen nonetheless. Yeah. But do you think any corrective, for example, we looked at this, right? This again, the contagion, 2 million people are affected and almost $684 billion wiped out last year. And I know there's a little bit of excessive extremes that we've seen in this whole regulatory actions and enforcement actions that we've seen again early this year as a result of what happened last year. My point is, which is what I questioned a lot of, including at Davos, is that you, the the crypto community and mostly in the investment community were critical of the regulatory bodies. Like, hey, you didn't do anything about it. And my question to them was, there was a moment when we didn't want the regulators to be involved in it. And now we have tried that. It didn't work. And now they're intervening. So what? which one is it? Do we, do we want to be self-managed, self-governed, including the CFI snafus that we had with the plain old fraud? And uh, do we hold ourselves accountable? Do we want the intervention from regulators or do we, we don't? Because a lot of- well, It doesn't matter whether we want it or not. It's, it's, it's going to be here. The regulators are going to regulate. It's in their job title. And so yeah. the question, are you going to get good regulations? Or are you going to get bad regulations? Bad You're going to get regulations. And we just happen to be getting horrific, 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 you know, that are basically shutting down the whole industry. So, you know, uh, uh, true, we're going to get true, regulations. Very true. Um, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we live in a society that you know, weirdly, uh, I think, you know, very much, you know, rewards and applauds those who, don't listen to the rules. You know, we applauded Uber, right? You know, they, Uber didn't ask for permission, right? You know, they asked for forgiveness. Um, what they did was against the law. Uh, and so, you know, I think we're going to get that same stuff going on in crypto and they're going to arrest people for doing stuff that, you know, it will be legal a few years later. Um, you know, and, you know, there'll be some people who just by chance, you know, get hit by buses and are the people arrested like, you know, the, the, the guy from, you know, Tornado. Mm. Hey, right. you, know, um, you know that's what they do and you know that's right that's forget what the exact phrase is but there's a phrase you know from Sun Tzu in the art of war about you know um you know you only have to kill one guy for doing something to scare a million <laughs> <laughs> that's true and and that's sort of typical of government organizations isn't it I mean it happens here in Australia um the ASIC um, seldom attacks any business. It doesn't have enough money. It doesn't have enough expertise, <laughs> et cetera. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the teeth like the SEC. So it goes after one high-profile player and everyone shivers in fear afterwards. It's very true. <laughs> um, hey, Nitin, um, Micah. Now, that's based in Europe um, and yeah. it's for the, the market in crypto assets by memory, a new set of regulations coming through. You've been involved with that process. Do you think that's yeah. positive regulations that you're seeing come through? 
So I just think these are guidelines more than anything else. One, the language has been uh, has been agreed upon and not the, the bill itself, the, the, the market infrastructure for, for crypto assets, not approved yet. Uh, and that actually is a passporting entity for 27 countries. But the beauty of some of these regulatory elements, to me, Japan, so again, Japan, Singapore, Europe, US, India, I've looked into all of these from a regulatory standpoint, one out of interest. And second thing is, you know, just trying to understand where the, the world is heading. And I would say that having any level of clarity helps. It helps for people to have, and I agree, also agree with Lou's point that, yes, there's always going to be some badly designed regulation or regulation will go after figuring out the interpretation of these laws and interpretation of, of what things are. But there's actually some clarity, whether it's context of establishing a firm or doing capital formation and raising capital and for some of these work and what is right and what's wrong. So there's a avenue for us to contest when things go wrong. And I, I, I think everybody wants to do the right things. I mean, uh, Lou, you've been involved with many startup founders. I have been involved with many startup founders. People want to do the right thing. Uh, very seldom you find people who start with saying, I really want to scam this system, even if they may have the intention or that, that intention may evolve later on. Uh, so these regulatory clarity actually, in my opinion, helps. And MICA aiming to do that, both in terms of registration of entities, holding individual accountable, of course, investor protection that has been the sort of the mantra of any regulator in the world, like give you need to protect the common man. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, the, the notion of, of what happens with stable coin settlement instrument, building financial rails, uh, similar guardrails that you have for traditional finance uh, with additional asset lens to it. Uh, but I go back to Lou's point. We are building a global system and we are building a vehicle where we don't want to have a bookend problem. Uh, and I've always said this, that the rules of engagement in DeFi is the same no matter where you are in the world. And the question is, are we erecting walls? Are we erecting hurdles for people to get in or are we making it easier? Uh, and I think at that point, what regulations can do is create modes from a, uh, from you know, protecting ignorant people or people who are not educated enough. But how do you do that for 8 billion people in the world? So there's always this question, the balance between over-regulating an industry and stymieing that growth in the early stages versus providing the clarity that can flourish the industry. And I go back to ICO days, Lou, I don't know what your thoughts are, but capital formation, ability for them to bypass some of the IPO and Sarbanes-Oxley requirements to generate capital it's quite powerful ability for us to raise funds in the space is, is yes, things didn't go right the way, but in the second, I'll stop there. Look, I, I, no, I mean, look, I think you're, everything you said was right. I think balance is the most important word in the English language. Almost everything's a question of balance. And, yeah. you know, and I don't think about where I want to be in balance because I don't think by definition you can be. I, I, I think about where I want to be out of balance. And, you know, I think, we, you know, broadly you know, live in financial markets that I think we're way out of balance in protecting the consumer. You know, if we're a free country, we should be letting the consumer decide for himself. You should go after people who lie and say, hey, I'm going to do X and then they do Y. You should go after those people, right? But you shouldn't stop people because maybe they're going to do that. I, you know, in, in, in my view, and, and by the way, I mean, and I think it's bullshit anyways, because the government tells poor people, hey, you're too stupid to invest, invest in Facebook when it's a yes. private company. So why don't you go down the street and buy a lottery ticket with your money? <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's often be a topic yeah. of this show. 
the ability for you know investors to be able to invest at the ground floor, and so often that is in the realm. Right, of and the look, wealth. and they'll get scammed, and more of them will get scammed. But you know, where do you want to be? In you know, out of balance. I think you want to be out of balance and giving people too much freedom. Mm. You know, and and then you know, the problem is obviously that when they get scammed, they go, "Hey, where were you?" <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's, it's that, that driving balance on the way through. Well, Lou, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, we really appreciate your insight. I think we're going to do a number of more of these because it's such an important topic um, of what is happening as this, this evolves. My hope is that we'll see this fantastic decentralized technology do just that, decentralize. And if it does that, then we'll see some countries becoming highly competitive, South Korea, India, Switzerland, et cetera. And I was that just in Vietnam, well... man. That, that, Vietnam. that Vietnam has yep. the highest penetration of crypto in the world. And that place Vietnam is rocking. Fantastic. Yeah. That's right. Vietnam, I think number two is India now. And if you, and if you look at the top, top 20, Australia doesn't even fit in it. Um, and, and the country that is banned from trading, number eight, is China and some number eight <laughs> user of cryptocurrency. Yeah, that, that's I amazing. Think that's got to be insightful for everyone, right? <laughs> they've tried. They've well, you know tried I mean, to they... ban like six times and still like top eight. <laughs> that's right. But, you know, I mean, my, I mean, my, my view. You know, now I, I went there four times in 2019 because you know it was crypto winter here and it wasn't crypto winter there. And you know, is that they're you know they are just bigger speculators than the West. And, you know, that's why, you know, Macau is, you know, six times bigger than Vegas. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and I think they get a return on that investment. Yes, exactly. Oh, true. Absolutely true. So fortune favors the brave. And in our case, fortune favors the informed. The informed, that's say. right. That's a mantra <laughs> for this year. But again, uh, Lou, uh, a heartful thank you for your time. I know it's Valentine's Day. Yeah, and okay. it's one way for you to spread the love through our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for, uh, you know, for your friendship. And thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate your time okay. and your thanks, insights. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Take care, Lou. Thank you, Lou. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.